What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippos here. I'm Bob Wankel. And Anthony, it was a winning weekend for the Philadelphia Phillies. I know they only split with the lowly Cincinnati Reds, but if you just set aside Thursday and you play it like a three-game series, it was two out of three since we last talked. So everything's good. The Phillies are back. They're ready to make a charge up the NLE standings. World Series, here we come. What do you say? Well, Bob, you know, my here's my my thought on this. Um I'm the I'm the guy who always says you you can't uh, get too down after a loss, and I, I at the same time we can't get too up after a big win. Um, I felt like yesterday was a necessary win, and it was the, they got off to the start. They hit right away, which was great. Poor Luis Sessa, that poor guy took a beating yesterday on the mound for the Reds. Um, that said, you know, good win, but. Let's temper let's temper excitement, just like I would say Saturday's loss was a terrible loss. Let's temper the the uh you know negativity about it. You know, it was bad, don't get me wrong, but let's also not lose focus in the fact that a 13 nothing loss is no different than a four two loss or a three two loss, right? So I mean, let's just not go too far to either extreme. That said, six and ten is certainly not where you or I expected this team to be. I believe at this point we had them the exact opposite. I think we had them at 10 and six uh, when we laid out our April breakdown. Um, so yeah, this is certainly not where we wanted them to be or where we expected them to be. I don't think it's the end of the world, but I also don't think it's something, you know, you sit there and go, Oh, look at all these great offensive numbers. Everything's going to be just fine. I think that there's a lot of, oh, wait, wait, a lot wait, of in between. There's a wait lot a of in between. The Phillies offense through 16 games, <laughs> 293 batting average, first. OPS, 812, second. On base percentage, 348, third. Slugging percentage, 464, second. Doubles, 41, first. Triples, six, first. This offense is elite. It's elite. And it well may be. But let's, let's you know, keep in mind that the reason that those numbers are what they are is they had two games so far this year where they absolutely pummeled teams and and the rest of the uh, games i wouldn't say that they really you know showed up all that much well first of all this is a bit and second of all <laughs> yeah so of course it's a bit of course it's a bit well yeah. you do in fairness though if you take uh, any team's two best offensive yeah. outputs of course it's going to skew the numbers favorably but i agree i mean listen there are things that this offense is is doing well certainly uh, on the strength of the game against alcantara on monday night and then what we saw against sessa yesterday uh, but listen, I, I think when you step back and look at this and you see some of the individual starts that these guys are having, you look at Bryson Stott, another three hits yesterday, Trey Turner, three hits, all broken bat. Uh, we talked about him on Friday. You want to see a little bit more. You want to see him do a little bit more damage. But again, he's he's gotten off to a pretty good start here. Alec Bohm has really surged out of the gates. Kyle Schwarber starting to slowly turn it on over the last seven games or so. Nick Castellanos has done some promising things. If you go up and down this lineup on an individual basis and you go, okay, it's not so bad. And even JT Romuto, we had the conversation late last week about, wow, you know, we've seen this before, these slow starts with JT. Should we be concerned? Will he get it going? And, you know, you and I both kind of came to the consensus that, of course, you shouldn't be overly concerned at this point. And then you see he has a pretty good weekend, and all of a sudden the OPS is up to about 750, he's hitting like 260. His numbers are totally fine. So you look at the team stats, you look at some of these individual stat lines in the early going, and you, you kind of have to feel like, okay, we know they're missing Hoskins. We know they're missing Derek Hall. We know they're sure as hell missing Bryce Harper. But there's a foundation in place here where you believe that this can be a good enough offense to get you to where you want to go. Mm -hmm. That's half of it. The other half of it, pitching, mm, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, look – you should be more confident in in the lineup than you should be in the pitching staff. There's no question about it. Um, I, I do don't I don't like the fact that the that the lineup still doesn't do fundamental things well. And we could talk about the base running thing again. I mean, they had another another one yeah. right. Turner on Saturday was a was a disaster. Um, and you could talk about not being able, you know, to move runners when they need to move runners or get the clutch hit when they need, you know, runners in scoring. Although they did it yesterday. They hit with runners in scoring position yesterday. But I believe coming into yesterday, they were like 24th in the majors and 
uh, batting average at runners in scoring position. So, like, they are th- those things need to get better, no matter what, right, in the lineup. But, yes, you're right. Pitching is is a, a greater concern. Um, and I, I, I got to start to wonder, Bob, and, you know, we briefly chatted about this via text over the weekend, but is is it the way that they're being utilized? Is it the is it how they're being handled that is exacerbating the, some of the problems that the pitching staff is having? And by that I mean, are they overusing the bullpen unnecessarily at times? Are they, you know, are they not giving the starter an opportunity to get out of a out of a situation when they maybe should let them get out of a situation? I mean, look, I don't want to sit here and tell you that every start has been has been good because they haven't. Um, but I do think that there are times when, when Rob Thompson is pulling his starting pitcher far too soon in my mind. And it's, and it's hurt them. It's cost them. And none, no game to me is more indicative of this than Saturday with Matt Strom. I don't know if you want to, if you want to kind of jump in here and, and, and talk about it, but I mean, I, I think that if you really break down what happened in that game, that game got away from the Phillies because of, Rob Thompson doing what he did when he did it and not because Matt Strom was necessarily pitching a poor game because he was, he was wild, but it wasn't necessarily pitching poor. And I think that they went and got him way too soon and it, and it just snowballed from there. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. Certainly uh, it goes without saying that Saturday's game was um, a disgrace. You know, I, I felt like watching that, that, they, they had an opportunity early in the top of the first. They don't score, uh, and they just sort of flatlined after that. Um, it looked like borderline indifference, to, to, be, to be blunt. Uh, not saying it was, not saying that they didn't want to be there, not saying they weren't, they weren't trying or anything like that, but it just certainly came across that way. And the way that the game plays out early on, I mean, Matt Strom was not good. He was not sharp on Saturday. We'll, we'll say that. Uh, behind almost every hitter, really struggled with this command. Myers takes him deep early on, and then Strom gets himself into a jam in that third inning, and then he starts to work his way out of it. So two outs. I believe there's runners on second and third at That's the time correct. that yep. Rob comes out to make the move. And it looked like – I think there's two different ways you look at this scenario, and I'm really kind of curious, and you sort of tipped your hand a little bit, but there's two different ways to look at this. He's not sharp. He's struggling with his command. Here comes Myers, who's already hurt him earlier in the game. Thompson realizes that this is a huge moment. They have to shut the door here. If they don't, 3-0, 4-0, the way that this offense has kind of been so inconsistent, it might be an uphill battle for them, Uh, especially against a guy like Ashcraft, who's a decent arm. So the urgency and the recognition of the situation – I applaud. Like it's an aggressive move. You said, like we we want to win this game. We have to we have to maneuver ourselves aggressively here in tr- in order to try to win it and, and make sure that we give ourselves a chance. But on the flip side of it, you say, okay, well here's Strom, who's been all over the place all day. Finally, seems to find his footing after that mound visit. Kind of gets it together. Has two of his best two of his best at bats, or you know, two of his from a pitching standpoint of the day. Yep. And then you flip him out. And then you're leaving yourself vulnerable to a potential six and a third on the back end when your bullpen is already overworked. And for that reason alone, given the context of how much this bullpen has had to throw in the early going, I think, hey, here's an opportunity where you try to push him through four innings. It's not just about that next out. It's about let's see if we can get another frame out of him, too, rather than going to Andrew Bellotti for the ninth time in 15 games, who's now on pace, by the way, to pitch in 97 games while he was as of the end of Saturday. I mean, it's absurd. Bilotti looks fried already and it's the middle of April and I don't say, I don't necessarily blame him. Yeah, no. And that's, and that's the thing, Bob, I mean, you, you mapped it out perfectly. And it was second and third with no outs, keep in mind to start that inning. And then there's the mound visit and he strikes out the next two hitters and Strom's not really a strikeout pitcher. Now he's got six strikeouts through two and two thirds of innings. Okay. So he's actually, been effectively wild in in a sense because other than Will Myers getting the home the solo homer off him, like he's cutting down guys at the plate because either the Reds are undisciplined because their lineup's not great, um, or that he's just wild enough where he's getting guys to chase pitches that are just out of the zone, right? And he's and he's getting them. And I, like you said, I get it why you don't want him to face Myers again because Myers got him the last time. But you've been the bullpen is so overused already 
why put yourself into a situation where you got to go six and a third innings with your bullpen and very likely are going to have to use Andrew Bellotti at some point, whether it's that particular spot or some point later in the, in the game, if you're going to be in the game and rather than let Strom try and get out of it, you said he stretched out to 85 pitches. He had thrown what 67 to that point, right? So you could probably get out of the inning and even let's say he gives up a hit to Will Myers and it's three nothing. Okay, that sucks. And then maybe you go to then maybe you go to your bullpen, but at that point you're not putting the reliever in in such a crucial situation, right? It's so early in the game. And yeah, maybe you don't come back from three nothing. But the fact of the matter is when Matt Strom leaves the game, it's one nothing and you lost the game thirteen to nothing. So the bullpen, including Josh Harrison, gave up twelve runs. Okay. Twelve runs that bullpen gave up. And it, it it didn't have to pitch that much, and then it puts the pressure on the next day to get your pick your starting pitcher, who Nola has not had a, a great outing so far, to have to try and go six or seven innings because your bullpen's fried already. I I, I just don't I don't understand it. I don't see the the need for it in a one nothing game at that point. It's too early. Let me, let me give you this: Mastrom has pitched twelve and two thirds innings this season. He's allowed seven hits. When he was removed from that game, he was unblemished this season except for the home run to Myers. Yeah. If you're going to tell a guy, hey, listen, we're really impressed with you. You've become a really big part of what we're doing. Here's an opportunity for you to own the moment. I mean, I, I get it. We're talking about the third inning of the 15th game in the middle of April. So I don't want to say own the moment like it's game six of an October playoff series. <laughs> right. But this is an opportunity to let the pitcher work his way out of a spot and maybe even grow that confidence further. Yes. And for a guy that had only given up seven hits to that point with first base open, if your concern is, well, he's been wild. Okay, no problem. First base is open anyway. So I'm giving Matt Strom that chance in that spot. 12 and two-thirds innings, one earned run before he left the game, before Bellotti comes in and gives up the three-run homer, two of which then get retroactively charged to Strom. You consider the start that he's gotten off to, the strikeout stuff that he demonstrated on Saturday, as you noted, and an opportunity to kind of save your bullpen, maybe four extra outs. Because he's not getting through five, he's not getting through six, but maybe he gets you through four. Right. Maybe that game has a totally different feel, a totally different trajectory. That being said, let me present it to you this way. Let's say the Phillies go on to lose this game 6-0, 6-1 on Saturday. We record this podcast and we're talking right now. And Rob Thompson leaves in Matt Strom to face Myers again. And Myers gets him again. And now they're down 4 nothing because Thompson's leash was too long. Are we... Are we working with the the benefit of hindsight here no. and saying, hey, come on, Rob, that was obvious? No, I don't think so because I'm – well, look, at least in my perspective. I don't think so either for the reasons that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, at least in my I mean, perspective. Look, hey, look, Matt Strom's been good for you, and look, he gives up the home run there to, to Myers. Hey, it's just it just wasn't his day, but he's been good for you, so you don't kill him, right? I mean, that's kind of where we're at with it. We're also talking about Will Myers here. Yeah, like, I know. We're not talking know. about an elite level offensive player. Like it's Will Myers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's that's the other thing too. Like, I, I just don't, I don't understand it. Like, I, look, and you you were right that they they really seemed like out of it Saturday night. But let's say Strom. I'm going to give you the op, the optimistic viewpoint. Let's say Strom gets Myers there. And it's still one nothing. Do they look as disinterested? Do they look as out of it the rest of the game? I don't know. Like that's what I'm saying. Like Rick, they probably are, are probably still in the game at some point. So I don't know. I mean, you you go to a guy who you've used nine times in the first fifteen games, and he gets first pitch crushed. And I think that that I think that kills the the, the vibe completely. For that, well, team. it does because not only do you go from one nothing to four nothing, which in and of itself, from just a a game theory viewpoint is devastating, yeah. but it's also really deflating. Like yeah. they've had a hard time in the early going here. And as a player, anybody that's been around sports, anybody that's observed it, covered it, played it, coached it, you make a move like that. And you know, this is a big spot in the game and it immediately backfires. I mean, it's, it's like taking a pin and just popping the balloon. You go, Oh man, like more of this. Yeah. It's, it's this, here we go again. And as a player, it's hard not to feel like that in the moment. You're like, man, it's just not our day. It's not our month right now. It's, it's just not going well for us. And 
I think that there is a little bit of human nature to sort of turn it off at that point. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Now, credit to them, as ugly and hideous and embarrassing as Saturday was, they get an opportunity to face a, a guy who's just not ready for prime time. Like, the thing that's really amazing about watching the Reds now across two series is that you kind of like the top of their rotation. It's interesting. Like, Green with the big arm, lots of strikeout stuff. He's inconsistent. He's still trying to find his way. We know what Nick Lodolo is capable of. Ashcraft's sort of an interesting arm. He can get it up there in a hurry. And then it's just whoosh off the right table. off the table, yeah. It's like they didn't even bother to fill the last two spots in that rotation. So the Phillies get an opportunity to take advantage of a guy that's just, he's not ready. You know, he's just not there. Uh, and they do it, and they get out of there with a split, and they, they are, I don't want to say they're treading water because, you know, winning only six of your first 16 games isn't exactly treading water, but a big win nonetheless, just so we're not talking about a full-on dumpster fire catastrophe right yeah, now. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and and we'll get into the specifics of it, but, you know, I, I've, I've played devil, devil's advocate on this show many times, and so I'm going to try and do a devil's advocate thing here for, for the people who are in full panic mode about the Phillies this year, um, including um, our, our buddy Paul Jolovitz, who you went on uh, on his show last night on WIP. Had to take a late night cup of coffee to jump on with Paul. <laughs> 11.40 these days with two kids, <laughs> one of which is 18 days old. That was a that was a tall order yes. to jump on with Paul last absolutely, night. Absolutely, absolutely. So, but like, he's, you know, he's one of those guys who is not – he's majorly concerned about the team. I get it. Um so this is me playing devil's advocate. I don't want to. I don't want to defend a six and ten start by any stretch of the imagination. But let's let's look at three games. And and if I said to you, either they uh, get a clutch hit or two in the opening Sunday night game against Texas when they only score one run on eleven hits, okay, um, that could swing that game. The bullpen blows Easter Sunday against the Reds if they don't blow that game. And if maybe the the Marlins game that went to extra innings and they lose, if they could figure out a way to freaking get a run home in extra innings, or Alvarado doesn't give up the home run, right? So three games that were very winnable, but they lost. If two of those three go the other way, and they're eight and eight today, are people panicking? At eight and eight right now, four games behind the Braves, it's kind of almost like. Status quo. It's what you expect almost in a way. <laughs> right? Um, like, I, don't, I don't think there would have been – I don't think there would be as much panic. They've got some injuries. It's early. They're feeling their way through it. But you know what? You know what I'm going to say, right? You are – What your, your record, record says you are. Says yeah. you are. No, no, you're right. And they are 6-10, and they didn't win those games. And I would tell you – like, I rattled off, and I said it was a bit, but they've done some good things offensively. We look at the numbers, and you can be encouraged by that. But the fact that they do struggle with runners in scoring position, they do struggle. Uh, I don't want to call it small ball, but just doing the little things from an offensive standpoint to actually score runs. Because that's what it's all about. It's all about run production. And they entered yesterday 25th in baseball in runs per game. Now, certainly you put up 14 runs, that elevates things. They're at 4.69 runs per game now, which ties them with the Mets for 14th in baseball. So it looks okay, middle of the road. But even that, Elite level production against uh, across so many different key categories, and you're still off the strength of a 14 run output, only middle of the pack early in the season and runs scored. That lets me know that there's something missing here. And Anthony, I think it's two things. One, it is that inability to kind of bear down and do what you need to do to score, but also it is that absence of the home run. Like we can talk about doubles, 41 doubles until we're blue in the face. It, Second best OPS. It's it's not like they're totally bereft of power. I mean, doubles count, triples count. Yeah. But a home run is missing from this lineup, and they're feeling it right now. And I think that that's the biggest difference between six and ten and eight and eight, or even nine and seven. No, absolutely. You're you're a thousand percent right. And 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 yes, this team is six and ten for a reason. And the reasons have been, you know, we've we've outlined them. Um, and, and it's not good enough at this point. Uh, you know, I, I think I said going into on the going into the opening day, uh, the home opener rather, um, that the Phillies need to go ten and seven over their seven next seventeen games against teams that are probably what we would consider inferior to them. Um, and so far, they've gone five and five. That's that means that they got to go five and two in these next seven to kind of be where I said, okay, that will get us back to where we kind of feel like that they're 
they're on uh, on the right track. Um, so, so there's still work to be done. I guess the argument that I was trying to make when I was doing the devil's advocate thing was it's it's maybe not as bad as it looks. Six and ten. It's not it's not good, but it's not. And, and I think that there have been a couple of really bad losses that have kind of made this that have kind of exacerbated this start. Saturday being the most recent one. But I think that if you really kind of look at it holistically, you could sit there and say, OK, they're, they're playing just below where they need to be. But it's not like they're playing like the A's. Right. <laughs> they're not they're not three and 13 and and dead in the water already i mean they're six and ten they put themselves in the hole but but you're seeing enough to say that this team has what it takes to come out of this and get to where they need to go and so that's 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 what i was trying to go for with the whole devil's advocate thing is that we cannot justify their bad play in the games that they've lost but there's been enough good play and enough close losses where you get there and go well if one or two things was different we'd have a whole be having a whole different conversation right now so that's that's all i'm just trying to say so it's it's the whole pump the brakes on everything don't get overexcited about a 15 to 3 win or 14 to 3 win with 23 hits by the way only the 15th time in the history of the franchise and we're talking about what's that 138 years only 15 times have they ever had 23 hits in a game in a nine inning game and yesterday was one of them um so yeah don't get overexcited about that but also don't get cratered and crushed by the fact that they've gotten off to this slow of a start. The only issue I have with that, I'll play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. Um, the only issue I have here is the pitching. And so we rattled off all these offensive statistics. And I told you this weekend, I said, after we recorded our last show, I said, I haven't been diving into the numbers quite as much because I haven't been writing quite as much. Right. So I kind of really sat down. I had two radio hits yesterday. I, I did a, two o'clock with Kevin Cooney on 97.5. And then I had the, the Jolovitz thing. So I was like, let me prep for these a little bit. So you start digging into the numbers and the, the pitching staff. It's amazing to me. We go back to last month and you're talking about being on an elevator with John Middleton and how he's concerned about the pitching. And I go, I don't know. Like, should he really be that concerned? Nola Wheeler, Suarez, Painter's coming, all these veteran arms in the back of the bullpen. Like, I know they haven't performed that well, but it's early in spring training. What's the concern? Hey, you fast forward, you know, five, six weeks later, Phillies pitchers, 5.48 ERA, fourth worst in all of baseball. Yeah. Bullpen ERA, 6.83, second worst, only the White Sox, who we'll see this week. 70 walks issued by Phillies pitching. Yeah. And to me, that might be the biggest problem. It is. Because that is. It feels almost like all of these other things, I say there's a lot of talent here. A lot of this stuff will probably even itself out as we go along. But the walks... I, I can't say with any certainty, oh, that'll just automatically correct itself. 70 walks leads all National League pitching right now. And a 1.57 whip, fourth worst in all of baseball. Um, I don't know how you want to go about this, how you want to dive into it. I'm willing to concede that there are two outlier games with the Rangers and then on Saturday with the Reds that, again, are going to negatively impact these numbers. They're going to skew them a little bit. Position players pitching are going to skew things a little bit. But this Pitching staff has not, to this point, inspired much confidence. Now, I will say in fairness, we talked about Friday night being a big start for Taiwan Walker. They really needed something out of him. They needed to see, hey, is, is there a problem here? We talked about the decline in velo against the Reds on Easter. He bounced back. Fastball sinker were both way up again, about two miles per hour, start over start. That's encouraging. The production was there on Friday night. So I feel like that concern for the moment has been stabilized. Zach Wheeler has looked better. Aaron Nola, I don't know how you felt about yesterday. I will say in fairness, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I came on Friday, said sometimes you just got to win a game. You you just got to do enough to win a game. And so he gets nine runs right off the bat. And I would tell you, okay, he gave up, what, three runs over six innings against the average, below average lineup. Wasn't impressive. I wasn't blown away by Aaron Nola, but – there is something to be said for just just get it done. So I'm not going to kill him for yesterday, but I wouldn't tell you, wow, Aaron Nola is back after watching yeah, that. No, he didn't have he didn't have a, 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 a at, at that point. You're you're just you know you're you're just pitching to, to win the game, right? I mean to get through. I, mean, I, I th- felt like he had one inning where he got a little out, little 
bad there, but other than that, it was it was fine. I mean, really, one run's unearned. Um, my concern with Nola, and like you said, the biggest concern with everybody is is the walks, and it's he's not a you know he led the league in lowest walk rate last year. He only had twenty nine walks in two hundred and five innings last year. He's already got six in twenty one yeah. innings this year. So like not being able to throw as many str- now he's not like he's he's overly wild i mean 2.5 walks per nine is not like terrible but at the same time it's it's certainly not what he's been doing the last couple years so that's that i think has been a concern and i wonder if that's part of the you know still trying to get adjusted to you know pitching a little bit quicker than he than he ever had before could be um i don't know but at the same time i I agree. Like that, that's not, it was, a, it was a fine outing. He did what he had to do. I wish he would have given him at least one more inning. I would have liked to have seen a seven inning start out of him. Um, and he did have one kind of eh inning in there where he gave up a couple runs, but um, I'll give him credit. Like he was teetering on the brink of, he might not get through five and he yeah. settled down and he gave him six. But yeah. as you noted, it would have been nice to get an extra inning, especially because there is no off day here. You jump right. right into this series with the White Sox for three, and then you come back home and you have the Rockies for four. They don't have a built-in off day. They don't have a breather. They need more length. And that's when you come down to it and you talk about Saturday. Hey, maybe you get an extra out. Maybe you get an extra four outs out of Matt Strom. Maybe you get an extra three outs out of Aaron Nola yesterday after he spotted a, a touchdown and then some. You take a little – it adds up over time. It snowballs. Sure. That works. Yeah, I mean even- – it, it snowballs over time and it, it shows up in the immediate because now here you go. Like those are seven outs combined across two games that, that they didn't necessarily have to get from the bullpen. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, even Wheeler in his, in his starts so far, his three starts, he's got seven walks in 16 innings, right? I mean, that's, He's he's way higher than he usually is too. I mean, so the, the pit the walks are to me the biggest problem, and it's it's even worse in the bullpen if you if you go through the the, the relievers and and just how much they're walking guys, right? I mean, that's it's unbelievable. You know the the number of walks. I mean, Ty, well, we talked about Taiwan Walker the other day. I mean, he has ten now this year, although he was better, like you said, Friday. But I mean, the, look at the bullpen. I mean, Kimbrell has six and six innings, and Soto has six and six and two thirds, and Dominguez has five and five and two thirds. And I mean, like, you can't have that. You know, Vasquez has six, and I know McKinley Moore got sent down. He had five. I mean, that's a, that's a ton of walks. Yeah. And guess what? None of them are intentional. <laughs> so, so it's like, it's fascinating to me how they have so little control as a, as a group. I, I just don't understand how you can be that bad. And so I, I got I got to try and find a justification for it, Bob. And, and the only thing I can say is, is that they are just not prepared for pitching quicker. I, I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, it's it's a thing with this team. And it's not it's not an excuse because every team in baseball has to face the same problem. Okay, it's just that other teams seem to have been better prepared for it than the Phillies have. And that to me, is not only is it, that's on the organization. Yeah, not only is it not an excuse, I think it's it's even more troublesome. It's it's actually more of a reason for criticism. It's damning. It's, it's, yeah. it's not about injury. It's not about anything else, but just a a lack of whether it be preparation or practice in getting acclimated to this new environment. I mean, and you're right. There's no other way to spin it. You know, you have multiple guys that are trying to feel their way along here. And by the way, you go back a week, about 10 days ago, we record and you say, it's like these guys are just not ready yet. It's like their arms aren't ready yet. Well, now at this point in the season, your arms are ready. Some guys are probably beyond ready. Some guys probably are, are ready to, you know, shut it down for 10 days. But I'm looking at this and I I say, okay, well, it's not about workload now. It's not that these guys aren't juiced up at this point in the season. It really is just about finding comfort. And they've yet, a number of them have have yet to do it. And it is curious. And I think it's something that bears watching and something that is worth criticizing. You hope that, listen, Caleb Cotham has done a a good job since he's been here. Uh, Been really impressed with this staff overall, really. 
uh, for the better part of a year now. Uh, but this is when you're six and 10 and you have individual performances and you can pick apart certain things and say, wow, look at what Bryson Stott's doing. Look, look at what Alec Bohm's doing. We talked about how they've answered a lot of the question marks in a positive fashion, but you're six and 10, like then it's someone's fault. There, there's something went wrong somewhere. Uh, and I, I do think it, a lot of it comes down to the staff and I, I don't want to be overly repetitive because I know I've said that before, but I'm not saying that these guys should be fired. I'm not saying that, oh my God, they're not good coaches. I'm not saying anything like that. But I, I do think that there was a lack of readiness by this team coming in. Yeah. Now it's interesting. I don't I don't want to put you on the spot here too much, but I know that you watch the the game a little bit more. You have a little bit more of a broad view of Major League Baseball than I typically do. I'm so Phillies focused. It's really where I put the attention that I have. Uh, but one of the teams that we both kind of liked coming into the season was the Chicago White Sox. We kind of both felt like, mm-hmm. hey, th- this team's got some parts. And to this point, they they too have struggled. They too are 6-10 and ten coming into this game. Uh, do you have any like overall thoughts? And I don't want to do a deep dive into the Chicago White Sox, but Phillies get them this week. Two struggling teams here underachieving. Any big takeaways from what you've seen with the White Sox to this point? Um. Oh, I think you know you you talked about it already uh, briefly in the sense that the, the they've had the same struggles with uh, their bullpen, like real struggles with their bullpen. Um, they also have uh, a bunch of injuries as well. Um, again, that shouldn't be an excuse, but no Tim Anderson, no Yoan Moncada. I mean, he, they've played, but they're they're both hurt now. Um, even Hanser Alberto, although he wasn't off to a good start i mean he's like kind of the big utility guy that they have he's been hurt um i think eloy jimenez was has been in and out of the lineup as well um and even when he's been in he's been terrible he's only hitting like 161 i think it is now so so yeah i mean they've they've had issues too their their starters have been struggling as well i mean you know look lance lynn is a guy for them and he's had Aaron Nola type start, right? I mean, he's three games, seven, three, one ERA, a whip of 1.625, right? Like he hasn't been any good. Giolito hasn't been any good. Michael Kopech is you know, considered one of the top, was considered a couple years ago, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Hasn't been any good. Only Cease and Clevenger have been off to good starts for them. And even really that Clevenger has been, you know, he's, he's danced in and out of trouble a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, their closer's been destroyed. Ronaldo Lopez has been, like, smacked around left, right, and center. They have no good bullpen arm right now, not one. So, and 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 they they play in an unforgiving ballpark. I mean, that's a hitter's ballpark there. Um, whatever the hell they call it these days, the, the new Comiskey. It's first-rate mortgage park or whatever the hell it is. Um, like, so they've had the – they've had similar – Guaranteed problems. rate. Field, guaranteed rate. Guaranteed. guaranteed rate. Yeah, not first rate, whatever. Um <laughs> So yeah, so they've got a lot of a lot of concerns. They have some good players. I mean, you know, Grandal's a hell of a catcher. Um, ben Intendi's you know, obviously a good hitter, although he's not off to a good start. I really am a big fan of Luis Robert. Um, I think he's a hell of an outfielder um, and still just kind of coming into his own. He's already got five home runs, by the way. Um, so like they they've got good players. They just haven't pieced it together. So I, this is an opportunity for the Phillies. To, to really take advantage of, of these guys. And, and you know, you, you said to me in a, in a text, they could use a sweep. This is one that's there for them, in my mind. Like, wow. this, this is one wow. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but this one, this is one that's there for them because of, how, of what the White Sox are going through. That, you know, and, and it's easier to get a three game sweep than a four game sweep against Colorado, who's a bad team this weekend. Um, so, you know, you say, well, they, you know, maybe they can get three out of four of that one. Okay, fine. If you do that and you go two and one in Chicago, this is a good week. But if you're looking for a sweep, I think this is one that they can go, oh, wow. And then maybe you get going in the right direction, right? You've won four in a row and kind of roll into your back into homestand mode. So, yeah, this is an opportunity for the Phillies here. Well, this is not a betting podcast, but you did say on Friday, and I want to just give you some credit that going into that Walker start on Friday that the Phillies were going to win the game, <laughs> that that was one that you should feel pretty good about. Yeah. Tonight, it's interesting. So you look at Lance Lynn, and you alluded to his numbers there uh, a couple minutes ago. Uh, 7-3-1 ERA to this point, 1.63 whip. He has allowed over 
16 innings pitch, 19 hits, 13 earned runs, seven walks. He's struck out 21, though. So you know the arm is there. He still has the wipeout stuff. His last time out, he, he bounced back from a miserable start against the Giants in which he lasted only four and a third innings. He gave up nine hits, eight earned runs. But he did last six innings against the Twins on April 11th, allowed just three earned runs, struck out 10. It would seem that Lance Lynn is going in the right direction. We had noted earlier it feels like Zach Wheeler is going in the right direction. You look at the game odds tonight, you see the Phillies are minus 115 right now at DraftKings. But what kind of opens my eyes is when I look at the over-under and I see that it's sitting at eight. So we have Wheeler, Lynn, Hitters Park, bad bullpens, bad pitching staffs. Phillies coming off a game in which they scored 14 runs, which is almost an automatic underplay the following night. Yeah. This feels like the odds makers are telling you that you should get ready for a pitcher's duel tonight. It's, it's just what it looks like from a clear line uh, line read. So Plus the weather is going to be horrible. I mean, it's freezing yeah. out in Chicago right now. So we'll see, but I, I kind of agree with you. I don't. I would not bet on the Phillies to sweep any team at this point, but I, I do think that there's a possibility here of a 5-2 and two week, and boy, do they need it. And if they get to 5-2 and two, – that would put them at what about 11 and uh, 11 and 12 yeah. through 23 games yeah. with a five and two stretch here. And, and, you know, maybe we're sitting here next Monday talking and saying, okay, you know, they haven't taken advantage of a soft schedule the way that we had hoped they would, but things are stable here. We can start talking about wild cards and, you know, not, not that we would get into a, an actual playoff chase and start talking about probabilities at this point, but just like, okay. Yeah. But what we feel like, They'll be there. Yeah, it'll well, be fine. Well, so the way I looked at it, and the reason I said ten and seven going into the seventeen games, why that was an important number, why that was my number. You lose the first. You you start off one and five, right? You lose those first three. So if you start off one and five, and then you get yourself to eleven and twelve, and then you're okay. That's three games over five hundred over that span of seventeen games. Now, if you start looking at every grouping of like twenty games, let's just say, and if you're you know one to two games over 500 every 20 games, you're eventually going to be a 90 win team. I mean, that's just the way that's just, if you, if you really want to do the math, you're going to get to 20 games over 500 by the end of the year. So that that would show me that over the course of a, of a, of a number of games that they can play above 500 baseball and say, okay, well that, if you're taking them in chunks, that's what your, that's what your goal is. That's what your target is. You know, if you'd be better, great. You know, if there's if there's one segment of 20 games where you could go 13 and seven, awesome, right? But I mean, if you're only going, if you go, if you're going 11 and nine every 20 games, you're gonna get to you're gonna get to 20, 90 wins. You just are. I mean, the people don't think that they think that's well, it sounds like 500. Yeah, but it's it's not. It really is a little bit better than that. So that's why I looked at it and said, if you, if you could put that kind of run together. Then and and this is all pre Harper too, right? That goes to show that you could get going in the right direction. Um, I did wanted to say I, I mentioned that there's bad weather in Chicago. I just I wanted to look it up just to make sure I wasn't crazy. There is a possibility of snow in Chicago yeah. today. The temperature right now feels like 19 degrees in Chicago, and they're going to play a baseball game. So yes, bang the under. Tonight in <laughs> Chicago, there's no way in hell these teams are putting up runs. There's there, it's going to be bitter cold, a miserable game, miserable weather for baseball, and they and yeah, you got two power pitchers who strike out guys, right? I just think it's, I don't think there's going to be a lot of offense tonight at all. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, we've talked about a lot of the uh, team output, a lot of the team statistics and stuff like that. But uh, I do want to just touch on some individual guys here uh, before we wrap it up. We might be on the shorter side today. We'll That's see. Right. But there are some notable performances out of the gate from young players by the Phillies here. And Bryson Stott is certainly at the top of that. And through 16 games, a 16-game hitting streak. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about Puddinghead Jones for the last week or so. Uh, I can't wait to not hear about that every day. Yeah. So hopefully – Bryson can put Puddin' Head in the rearview mirror here this week. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. But 27 hits so far and 71 at-bats. Uh, only one homer, six doubles, no triples yet. 380 batting average, slugging 507896 OPS, 0.8 war. Um, is this start real? And that's kind of what this segment is. You know, is Bryson, start gonna, is Bryson Stock going to hit 380 this season? No. No. But <laughs> – 
to what degree should we look at this and say, this is real. He's taken a step. This is a borderline all-star player. Yeah. I think that that's, is, like, I is think that, that's is, is that what the projection is here? Is it, is, is that what, where we're at with him? A borderline all-star player? Is he, is he a potential batting champ? Is he, what is he? So, yeah, I mean, so here's the one thing that I, my one red flag with Bryson Stott, and I, he's off to a great start. I think he's, I think he's going to be, and we've talked about this. He's going to be one of the guys, right? He's going to be a, a major contributor to this team. The one thing is, and he take look, he has great at bats. He fouls off a ton of pitches. He works pitchers. I give him a lot of that credit. He's got one walk in you know 72 what plate me, appearances this year. You know what annoys me about doing this show with you is that that sometimes I'm gearing up to say something smart and then <laughs> and then you beat me to it. One walk in 17 strikeouts. That's that that's, yeah. That is a little bit of a red flag. Yes. Yeah, for a leadoff hitter especially. Like, you know, that's why I think that they were a little reluctant to put him up there so soon. Um do I think he could be, you know, a, a 280 290 hitter and you know, he's going to have a little bit more pop. He's not going to you know one home run in 72 play appearances is a little bit low. Um I think he'll I think he'll, you know, be that 15 to 20 home run guy. Um, ultimately. So I think, you know, I think he can give you a really good season and be a all-star possibility for you. I, I don't think, you know, if you're asking me, can he be, you know, as, as good of player as he's been giving you 0.8 war every 16 games? No, I don't think that's going to happen. Fair enough. Um, Trey Turner. If I told you that through 16 games, Trey Turner was hitting 338, you would obviously sign up for that in a heartbeat. Wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised I, either. Well, here's here's what I am kind of curious about talking about red flags, yeah. which we do often on this show. Trey Turner has 23 hits, 19 of which are singles. Yeah. So he has two doubles and two triples. He's knocked in four runs. Um. Should we look at Trey Turner's start and say, listen, 338, I don't care what the rest of the picture looks like. We're taking that all day. We know that he's a great hitter. He has an established track record. Don't sweat it. Or do we look at 338 and say, could this be a more hollow, less productive start for a player that has some some pretty flashy numbers in certain areas? Yeah, I, I look, I'm, I'm not going to – going to be overly critical i mean it's not been you know i watch his at bats and, and there's a lot of flailing singles right i mean there really are um so I, you know i've not been overly impressed but i'm also not going to sit here and, and criticize the guy for hitting 338 either i do think that there the track record is there and i do think as the season progresses we are going to see a much better trade turn imagine what it's going to be like what kind of pitches he's going to get when he's got Bryce Harper batting behind him. Right. I mean, I one think thing that I find one, one thing that I find, and I, I hear you, I think that Bryce Harper, if there's a player that stands to benefit more, it may, it may be Trey Turner. Yeah. One of the things that I'm kind of curious about with his start, and I am not concerned because I don't rely on the stolen base. Really. It's not, it's not the reason I, I look at a player and say, wow, he's really valuable, but there were these wild projections with the new with the new rule implementations and the bigger bases and the disengagement rules. Trey Turner could steal seventy bags this season. Yeah. Trey Turner could steal eighty bags this season. Well, Trey Turner's stolen three bases through sixteen games. He's on pace for thirty steals. Yeah. Are you surprised at all about the lack of uh, just not even the, the pure numbers, but the lack of aggressiveness in that? A, that little, a little bit, a little bit, especially because we saw the success of you know when they were doing it, you know, Stott would get a hit, steal a base, Turner would get a hit, steal a base. And they did it a couple times. And we saw it in spring training too. They, whenever they were on base, they were running. And so like, I am a little surprised that the number is only three. And I, you know, he did get picked off the one time. Um, he did get, he did, uh, one of his hits was, was a base running error, right. That he got, uh, didn't get back to the bag, so he kind of wipe wipe that one off the board. So there's a f so he's had few a fewer opportunities. A couple guys times where guys are on base in front of him and he can't steal a base. So you, you have a few opportunities that just aren't there. But yeah, I I would have thought 
at this point, maybe he would have five or six instead of just three. So, yeah, I'm a li- it's a little down as far as I'm concerned. I think that there were some chances and they haven't taken them. And, I, you know, I'll tell you what the problem is, what I think is the part of the problem is he's got they got Schwarber batting behind him. And with Schwarber batting behind him, they want to leave that hole as big as possible on that on yeah. that right side for Schwarber because that's where he hits the ball. So maybe they're not running Turner as much, you know, until Schwarber gets going, right? And that's why I think that – that's why I said – I think he will be the benefit from Harper coming back because once Harper comes back, you don't worry about that as much, and Turner can get you can cut him loose a little bit. Yeah, interesting. The Phillies as a team only have ten stolen bases this season, puts them tied for seventeenth in all of baseball, leading right now the Guardians, twenty five steals. Yeah. Woo! Um. So the next player I would want to look at, uh, and and only one or two more here. I don't want to go down the whole lineup, but the the next guy that I think is definitely worth looking at would be Alec Bohm. And Alec Bohm, I almost feel like in a way has sort of gotten lost in the shuffle here. It's 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 strange. I mean, he's off to a start in which he's hitting 350 with a 976 OPS, three homers, 14 runs batted. In a lot of ways, he might be the Phillies' most if not consistent, I would say complete hitter. Mm-hmm. I think that Alec Bohm right now, if if I had to size up this entire lineup and say who's the guy that from start to finish has been the best hitter for this team so far, it's it's been Alec Bohm. We know the, the, the career arc. We know the storylines with Alec Bohm. It, to me, truly looks like he has taken a real step forward after taking a, a pretty big step forward last year, a rebound step. It looks like that that ascension is continuing here. Of all of the starts, Alec Bohm is the one that if, if you told me Bryson Stott come the middle of May is hitting 285, I wouldn't be blown away by that. If you told me Trey Turner evens out to 320 but adds in some home runs or some regression both positively and negatively, I'd say, okay, like I, I see that. Now, again, not that I think that Alec Bohm's a 350 hitter, but man, like this is starting to feel like a a guy that can hit 310, 315. Hit twenty five home runs, like it, it. It's starting to feel real now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I believe in Alec Bohm. I really do. I think that, I think he is the underappreciated guy right now because everybody's talking about Stott. Everybody's enamored with the shiny new toy in Turner. Um, you know, everybody's talking about. We've we've had so many stories talking about the new approach by Castellanos. Everybody's excited about Brandon Marsh's start, which I'm sure he's your fourth guy that you're going to talk about. Um, but I think Alec Bohm's just kind of been like you said, lost in the shuffle. He leads the team in RBI with 14. He's second behind Schwarber and Homers with three. Hitting 350, and yeah, he's not going to hit 350, but he every time he comes up to the plate, I don't feel like he's over... I never feel like he's overmatched. As a matter of fact, I look at him when he comes to the plate and go, I think he's going to get a hit. I think he's going to get a hit. I think he's going to do something here. He's like He looks like a guy who you who you should have a lot of confidence in. And it's amazing that he's gotten here as quickly as he has, because like you said, he took a step last year, but this is, this is a big time step. And I think that he is going to be one of the key pieces for the Phillies, not just this year, but for a long time to come. I think there is a real player there. And I I just love the confidence that he exudes when he's at the plate. It's just a solid, solid player right now. Talk about the Phillies' team-wide struggles with runners in scoring position. Uh, Alec Bohm has been the exception. He's 10 for 22 so far with runners in scoring position. He's hitting 455 with a 1.227 OPS. I mean, yeah. he uh, he has delivered. You go through all the splits, look at all the different situations. There, It looks good across the board. Yeah. I mean, he has been so solid and so important for this team. And I think of all the players of – of the starts that we're seeing, this is the one that I think might normalize the most as, as we progress. And you're right. I mean, I, I think that there's no way that you can do a, the, is this real exercise without talking about Philly center fielder, Brandon Marsh, who I'm surprised I coming in Brandon Marsh. I look at him and say, he has solidified what has been a shaky center field position for this team for a very long time. Um, you know, I know your son, he's, he's been on the show a couple times with us and he's noted that he, he sees Brandon Moore as a corner outfielder and not really a true center fielder. I think that we've been so accustomed to seeing such wretched defense in center field that we will take above slightly above average and, and make it out to be excellent. Uh, so I understand that those criticisms, I, I think they are noteworthy. I don't think that he's a top five center fielder. It seems like a lot of people in this fan base feel that he is, but 
what I thought we might get is solid defense, solid offensive production that you can live with as an 8-9 hitter at the bottom of the lineup. A, a guy that is a threat to turn the lineup over, can hurt you, can can take advantage of mistakes, and will benefit by a stacked lineup or benefit from a stacked lineup. What we've seen so far through 45 at-bats is a 378 batting average and a 1.196 OPS, two homers already for Brandon Marsh. Some extra base hit pop right now. Um, three triples. Three triples. <laughs> that's that's insane know. in 14 games. That's crazy. <laughs> This is where I start to talk about this team and you look at some of the numbers and say, well, six and 10 isn't real. That's not what this team is. They will normalize. And then you start diving into these individual numbers and you say, well, unfortunately, some of these numbers are going to normalize in a downward trajectory as well. Brandon Marsh is not a 375 hitter. So what is he? And again, like, what is the expectation? Because I've been so impressed. I've been so impressed with him to this point. Yeah. Um, well, so let's 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 flash back, right? I mean, he was considered a pretty darn high prospect for the Angels when he was there, right? I mean, if you go back, you know, he when he first came up, like they there was a real expectation that he was going to be, you know part of that outfield with trout right he was going to be a one of the one of the guys and just never really figured it out at the plate until he got here and and look we we know by now you know kevin long is 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 you know a hitter's whisperer right i mean he he could fix almost anybody at this point and he maybe he found something in in brandon marsh and look He's not going to be a 378 guy. You're right. Um, yeah, the, the, these numbers are a little outrageous for anybody, um, let alone Brandon Marsh. But can he maybe finally reach that potential that the Angels kind of thought that they had in him, you know, back when he first came up a few years back? Yeah, I think he can be. I, I think it I think it could be there. And I know that there's some criticism of, of um, Rob Thompson for not playing him often against lefties and I get it right especially when you're hitting his well and you're and you're hot and you're like oh you shouldn't follow the analytics you should always you know if a guy's hot just keep going with him I think part of the reason Brandon Marsh is hot as hot as he is is because they they have protected him a little bit um so if we want to stay you know hey we're going to put him out there against everybody he's going to start almost every game just get the odd game off here and there you're going to get more more regression than you think so I, I think that if they continue to utilize him the way that they're utilizing him, play against some lefties, but if it's a real power lefty, hey, sit that one out, man. And you come off the bench and pinch it against the bullpen and take advantage of right-handed pitchers at that point, okay, good. I, I'm fine with that. I really am. I, I don't think he needs to be middle of the lineup every game, lock it in. I, I, I'm okay with the way they're using him. I think that they're using him appropriately. And I think that's going to continue to have the confidence build, and he's going to become, you know, the kind of player that the Phillies really need him to be. And that's a that's a good thing. Now he's not going to hit three seventy eight, but if he if he hits two seventy eight, right, Bob, if he ends up being a two seventy eight hitter and gives you an OPS in the, you know, mid eight hundreds, you're taking that, right? You're that's that's your guy in center field for this year, and you're like, yep, I'm I'm on board. We focus so much on the real Mutos and the Harpers and the Schwarbers of the world. And we're talking about the starts of Stott, Bohm, and Marsh. And these numbers are outrageous. They're probably unsustainable. But they are worth getting a little bit excited about. Yeah. And the thing that I think I've concluded here more than anything else is I don't know what these players ultimately are. I don't know if they're all-stars or not. I don't know if they're 300 hitters or 25 home run guys or not. But the thing that I find most encouraging about all three of those players is that they're kind of, they each have that quality where even if the numbers weren't what they, they are currently, we'd be saying things like, they produce when it matters. They have a feel for big moments. You feel comfortable with them in big spots. I think all three of those guys sort of have a knack where you feel good about them right now. And then the numbers being what they are, it's it's hard not to kind of like look at it and say, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is unbelievable. But I think even when these numbers do kind of regress, and they will, 
you, you feel like you have three potential winning players here. Yeah. And I think with, with each, it's been interesting because the expectations for Morris weren't that high when he got here and they've been elevated now a little bit. Boom. They were sky high. Then they plummeted to almost rock bottom. And now they're back up to where they were when he first got here. Stott was a guy who struggled for two months out of the gate, but there was always this feeling like there might be some special quality about him. And so, yeah, we look at Harper, Real Muto, Schwarber, Castellanos. Great. But I love that the Phillies have three younger players all in that 25 to 26 range that you feel like pretty damn good about is that second tier of player. And I don't know what this team is. I don't know if they're an 85 win team, 90 win, 80 win team. The pitching concerns the hell out of me. I think Harper comes back and it, it all kind of works out and they get to where they need to be. But moving forward, it's nice to have young controllable talent that you feel good about. Yeah. And, and for that reason, I, I watch these games and it's like a little bit concerning, but you go, they, they've got something here. They do. They absolutely do. And, and you know, part of what I think gets overlooked a lot of times, and it's, it's very interesting that you just said young, controllable talent. One of the things that gets overlooked is just how good of a job the Phillies have done with managing salaries under Dombrowski, even, even with Harper and Turner getting ridiculous, you know, $300 million plus dollar contracts. And, and even with... Um, you know, uh, shining Schwarber and, and and Castellanos at twenty million a year, like those things. Even with those big contracts, they have put themselves in a position to have players here for a long time and be competitive more than just one or two seasons. Like this is this is a team that is building that is built to win now, but is also built to win for the next four or five years. And then we'll see beyond that. Like, I mean, you know, as as this continues to grow, like, I, yeah, I think that's one of the the things that gets lost very often in discussing the Phillies that we forget about it. We get so caught up in the moment and in the year that that there is. But regardless of what happens this year, this team's going to be competitive for a playoff spot in the World Series next year, and 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 the year after, and probably the year after that. Right, so we're in that window now, and it's going to be a bigger window than than usually is. And I think that that's something that we we lose sight of sometimes, but we really need to every once in a while go back and appreciate because that's where the Phillies and we're seeing the fruits of 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 how they've handled this over the last few years coming to fruition right now. I can't help but laugh that on the morning of a podcast in which we record, the Phillies are six and ten. This is somehow unexpectedly turned out to be one of our more positive episodes. <laughs> Well, it didn't start off that way. Let's put it that way. In the beginning, we were a little more critical. But, yes, we ended up getting gushing, gushing over the Phillies at 6 and 10. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that that, that kind of wraps it up for the Phillies talk. What do you have for one last I thing? Actually have, I, I, well, I actually have two. I, I have two okay. last things today. One, uh, be really quick, we actually talked about briefly yesterday. I just wanted to mention it because I think it's one of the funniest stories in baseball this year is the, the deal in Oakland, um, which I even learned about further today um, in reading a story. So they have a possum that lives in <laughs> the walls of the of the uh, broadcast booth, for the visiting broadcast booth. And they first saw it, apparently, ready for this, Bob, last May. So it's been almost a year this possum has not been able to be caught. They've set traps for it. And for, for 11 months, it has eluded the capture of, of the efforts of the people that work at the Oakland Coliseum. This possum lives there. But it's gotten so bad now that it's made its home in the visiting press box um, for broadcasters. And it's so bad that it it's now using that space to go to the bathroom. And it's so – the stench is so foul and so bad that the broadcasters can't broadcast there. They've had a move to a different location and the, the SNY broadcast from Friday night they did like about a six minute seven minute bit on it it's fascinating look it up find it on Twitter it's so hysterical and I cannot believe that they cannot catch a damn one damn pop first it was told it sounded like it was an infestation it's one guy it's one one little possum running around and they can't catch this thing for 11 months and it's tormented Oakland it's fantastic it couldn't happen to a better organization right now because that that whole situation is a disaster out there you know the a's probably like this story it, it gives them some some 
PR fuel to say, we got to get the hell out of this stadium. We have to get out of the Coliseum. We might have to get out of Oakland. We're, we're, it's Las Vegas, right? Yeah. They, don't they have an eye on Las yes. Vegas potentially? Yes, they do. I, they might not make it through the year. I mean, it's bad out there right now. Holy yeah. smokes, is that crazy. But yeah, check out that video of the SNY broadcast from Friday night. It's absolutely hysterical. Um, and the other one last thing, which you don't, we, didn't, we did not talk about in advance, but I wanted to throw it to you. And you know I have to go down this path because you know I'm the traditionalist and I, the, the new rules drive me nuts. Did you see what happened to Cody Bellinger? I did. <laughs> so Welcome back. Welcome back, Cody. Thanks for the memory strike one. <laughs> so, so just to let everybody know, Cody Bellinger is now on the Cubs, returns to Los Angeles, um, his first game back with, against the Dodgers, and the crowd gives him a standing ovation. And, you know, he does the whole tip your hat, wave to the crowd, and the whole thing. But I guess it takes a little bit longer than umpire Jim Wolf, Randy Wolf's brother, uh, wants it to take. And as soon as Cody Bellinger steps into the box, he calls him for a pitch pitch clock violation and he has to take strike one. I just absolutely like baseball not getting it at that point. I mean, t- come on, give the guy his due. Let him get the reception. Understand it's not good. What is it? It's taking an extra five seconds, 10 seconds. Come on now. Let's not let's not be sticklers about this. It's, 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 it's funny that you bring this up and it's uh, an interesting it's an interesting scenario. It's an interesting thing to point out with the new rules and like having a feel for the moment. I saw yesterday the Red Sox, I believe, played a baseball game in one hour and 57 minutes. And we applaud the abbreviation of these games, these condensed games. Like, yeah, that's great, awesome stuff. And maybe over 162 shaving, 25 minutes. Like, I know where you're at on the rules, but just humor me sure. for a second. Yeah. A lot of people feel that it's a good thing. We can afford to cut down 25, 30 minutes over, over the, the average course of a game. Great. What do you say to people, though, that look at an hour and 57 minutes and say, those ticket prices are still the same. You're still paying for that experience. And though, while nobody needs a three and a half hour game, and I know that there's variables here, you can still get one. You don't know what you're getting when you go to the stadium, and that's part of it. But what do you say to somebody that goes, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm still paying $55 a ticket. I'm down there for the afternoon. Like, I didn't want to be there for an hour and 57 minutes. Like, there, there's got to be a happy medium. And I think ultimately that's what it's going to be, Bob. I think that, you know, when you hear things like Harper said on you know, the opening Sunday night game where he said we want, to, we want to take our game back and things along those lines. I mean, there, you know, then you hear Matt Strom coming out and you know, he, he did the whole thing about – you know, you shouldn't uh, extend beer sales because now you're putting more people at risk. And, you know, I think that these are all things where they're pointing out, the players want to point out the problems with it that were not taken into consideration and it, that they want to make them about things that are not necessarily impacting the players, but more impacting the experience of baseball. Um, right. And I think that that's why that these are the things that they're going to focus on. So I think what ultimately is going to happen is I think baseball is going to realize First of all, the owners are going to realize they're making less money on concession concession sales and stuff like that. I mean, things like that are going to. You don't even need a second of all. First of all, the owners are making less yeah. money. That will spur <laughs> that will right that alone, and then you'll work with the players who are who are, don't like it. And I think you'll see changes. Now, will they be major changes? I don't think so. But can you see a situation where instead of it being pitch clock being fifteen and twenty seconds, maybe it's twenty and thirty? And then maybe the games aren't 25 minutes shorter on average. Maybe they're about 17 to 18 minutes shorter on average. I think that that's probably your happy medium. And I think that that's ultimately where it's going to get. And I would not be surprised if it got there this season. I don't think it's something that they wait wow. all year for. There was an interview that was done with, um, what's his name? Um, oh, used to be the Red Sox and Cubs GM when they won the World Series. Epstein. Theo Epstein, Epstein, yes. Um, There was an interview that was done by The Athletic with Theo Epstein, and um, Jason Stark, I think it was, asked him, they said, you know, would you consider not having the pitch clock in the playoffs? And he wouldn't say no. He wouldn't say yes. He kind of just, well, you know, we're going to take all the information we have and blah, blah. So, like, there was no commitment. Like, if you were that adamant about this being – the rule, these rules being so good and so great, you would come out and basically say, no, we're, this is how we're doing it. It's what it's going to be going forward. But to sit there and not be able to say that we might take it away for the playoffs, that tells you a lot. 
it yeah. tells you a lot of where they 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 may not want to tell you what the negatives are they want to keep promoting it because this is good for the game and everything else but when when and he's the, the reason i say brought his name up he's like the guy who's like the special advisor to the league on all these new rules and implementations um to not have that i think that that speaks volumes definitely bears watching all right, well, we will be back, uh, both you and I, uh, later this week. I actually think we have to talk about some of our scheduling yes. still. Uh, there, there there, are whispers that we may do a midweek episode this week. We'll see. Yes. Uh, but for sure, we will be back on Friday. Phillies and White Sox, two 6-10 teams, going at it in a blustery frozen tundra of first-rate guaranteed field. <laughs> Or guaranteed first-rate field. Uh, it's something. Cue the NFL films music. Uh, listen, it's it's these are big weeks. You know, maybe maybe the middle of April isn't where you say this is a huge week for a team, but you get off to a six and ten start, and it's a pretty big week. Yeah, it is. Phillies have an opportunity here to take a uh, take advantage of a struggling and very injured White Sox team before they return home for four games against just a horrible, horrible Rockies team. So if this week doesn't go well, oh boy. I'm Bob Wankel. You can follow me at Bob Wankel CB on Twitter, at AntSanPhilly on Twitter, and follow the show podcast account at UpPhillies on Twitter as well. And we will check you later this week.